Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, let me ask you a question this morning. Are you a wise person? I don't mean a wise guy. I see several of you out there that I think are wise guys. But are you a wise person? All of us like to think we're wise on some level. I don't know anybody who wants to be thought of as slow or ignorant or unwise. I believe that God has placed within each of us a desire for wisdom. The question becomes, how do we define wisdom? What does wisdom really look like? Any Dilbert fans here this morning? Ah, I see that hand, Tim Nichols. Several others, maybe. In his book, The Dilbert Principle, Scott Adams offers a blend of sarcasm and irrefutable wisdom in Dilbert's laws of work. You might appreciate these. Don't be irreplaceable. If you can't be replaced, you can't be promoted. When you don't know what to do, walk fast and look worried. Everything can be filed under miscellaneous. If you are good, you'll be assigned all the work. If you're really good, you'll get out of it. If it wasn't for the last moment, nothing would get done. Keep your boss's boss off your boss's back. And a final tidbit of wisdom this morning. Eat one live toad first thing in the morning and nothing worse will happen to you the rest of the day. (laughs) What do you think? True wisdom? Hmm. Well, this matter of wisdom is what James is addressing in our passage for this morning. But let's look for a moment at the, at the preceding context here in James 3. Under the, in the first part of James 3, uh, James is talking to us about the power of the tongue. Unless our hearts are tamed by the power of the Holy Spirit, our tongues will be a restless evil, full of deadly poison. It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. So our hearts must be cleansed and brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. And it is because of the potentially destructive power of the tongue that James says not many should presume to be teachers there in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now that little line right there ought to catch the attention of many of us here this morning. This church and community are filled with teachers of all types, college professors, high school teachers, middle school teachers, elementary school teachers, preschool teachers, Sunday school teachers, pastors, counselors, coaches, Bible study leaders. You get the, you, you get the point. And many of you, if you are not, uh, particularly if you're students, you may be preparing to teach. James says that the vocation of teaching is a great responsibility and not to be taken lightly. He states that those who teach will be judged more strictly because teachers are, in essence, molding and forming lives. And they will be held accountable to God for how they do that. Not many of you should presume 
to be teachers. For those who are not teachers, be sure you grasp what's at stake and weigh it carefully before becoming one. To those who are teachers, realize that you will be held to a higher level of accountability because you directly shape and influence lives. And to all of us, James says, what we say, how we use our tongues and the words that come out of our mouths, these things matter immensely. In these next verses, verses 13 through 18, James continues to address those who would be teachers. He asks, who is wise and understanding among you? Now the connection is clear. Being wise and understanding is essential for those who would presume to teach. The very nature of being a teacher assumes that one has a certain level of wisdom and understanding. Those who teach of all people need to lead lives of wisdom. Clearly, again, this passage has has application for many of us here this morning. We're a church and a community filled with, with teachers. And even those who don't teach formally certainly influence those around them. Teach by their example. This passage is, is for all of us this morning. James knows that the wisdom we live by will impact the lives and shape the values of those we teach and influence. Now, the Greek word for wisdom that James uses in our passage for this morning is Sophia, one who is full of intelligence, one who is knowledgeable in diverse matters. And in these verses, James contrasts two kinds of Sophia, two kinds of wisdom. There's earthly wisdom and there's heavenly wisdom. Verses 14 to 16 give us a picture of earthly wisdom. It says, James says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. Wow, pretty strong words here, wouldn't you say? James is obviously well aware that envy and ambition fit hand in glove with our world's concept of wisdom. The wisdom of the world says every person for him or herself. The wisdom of the world says I have to look out for number one. The wisdom of the world says get all you can while the getting's good. The basic premise of worldly wisdom is do unto others before they can do unto you. Years ago, H.G. Wells asserted that human society is the limited and legalized struggle of men and women to get the better of one another. Those who live according to earthly wisdom are impressed with power, prestige, position, privilege. They pursue these things in an effort to get ahead, so to speak, regardless of the impact on others. For the last several years, the entertainment industry has has really capitalized on this kind of wisdom with with, uh, reality TV shows like Survivor and The Apprentice or any number of other shows like them. Now, I know that many of you enjoy those shows. And these programs may have entertainment value, but when it comes right down to it, 
They are all about exploiting others in order to survive, aren't they? Bitter envy and selfish ambition are really the centerpieces, sort of the whole point of many of these shows. Getting the better of others, or at least trying to be better than others, is the natural human way of thinking apart from the redeeming grace of God. It should come as no surprise then that we find envy and selfish ambition at the heart of this kind of wisdom. And you and I, my brothers and sisters in Christ, need to beware this kind of wisdom. It comes so easily to us because it is normal to our sinful natures apart from God. And it permeates every aspect of our society. James says it is unspiritual and of the devil. Literally demon-like. Not the kind of thinking that God wants for his holy people. Ultimately, earthly wisdom is rooted in fear and pride. Fear of failing, fear of losing position or status, fear of being taken advantage of, or fear of not being heard or taken seriously, fear of becoming irrelevant or insignificant. Pride in our accomplishments, pride in our status among our peers, pride in our ability to influence others and get what we want, pride in our intellectual ability or at least in our ability to outmaneuver and outthink our colleagues. Each one of us needs to ask ourselves, is that how I think? What is at the core of most of the decisions I make? Am I really looking out for others? Am I serving others in Christ? Or is it really about my agenda? Is it really promoting myself? We need to examine our ambitions. We need to ask ourselves, why am I ambitious for whatever it is you may be ambitious for? Are most of my ambitions primarily selfish? And what about envy? Have I allowed envy a place in my heart? All of us have wrestled at at one time or another with envy and selfish ambition No doubt we all at one time or another have allowed our choices and our decisions to be colored by this kind of wisdom. But again, James calls this kind of wisdom earthly, unspiritual, of the devil. And the result, he says, is disorder and every evil practice. Where disorder and evil practice are found, there you will find earthly wisdom. Thankfully, James goes on to tell us what heavenly wisdom looks like. In verses 17 and 18, he says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. As Christians, you and I ought to desire to have our lives marked by this kind of wisdom from heaven. As we look at these qualities this morning, ask yourself, does this quality characterize my life? Let's take a look at these 
James says that wisdom from heaven is pure. The Greek word for pure is from the same root as the word for holy. The wisdom that comes from God is pure. It is holy. Our own Dr. Mike Walters wrote the New Wesleyan Commentary on the book of James. He says, The bottom line evidence of true wisdom is that of becoming more and more like the one who demonstrated the holy life of wisdom in our midst, Jesus Christ. Any claim to wisdom that does not connect to Christ's likeness is false. It is impure. Ask yourself this morning, is my heart pure? Wisdom from heaven is pure. It is holy. Christ's likeness is the mark of heavenly wisdom. It is peace-loving. Wisdom from heaven loves peace between people. Not just an outward peace, not just the absence of conflict, but an inner peace that allows us to look on ourselves and one another with grace, with favor. You know, it's been said that some people find fault like it's buried treasure. But the one who is wise by heaven's standards looks for the good in others and interprets their actions as positively as possible. Wisdom from heaven is not contentious. It is peaceable and peace-loving. True wisdom is also considerate. A considerate person is a person who has a gentle, yielding spirit. Consideration is not a quality that we find very often in our culture. We live in a me-first world, and being considerate of others seems like weakness to many. I again quote Mike Walters, that being nice is considered strange is a commentary on our world. Yet it is one more bit of evidence as to how different the ways of God are from those of the unbelieving culture around us. Wisdom from heaven is considerate. The wisdom from heaven is submissive. It is easy to be entreated. The Living Bible says it allows discussion and is willing to yield to others. Submission is essentially voluntary obedience. How can James say that being submissive is wise? Sounds like weakness, doesn't it? This quality isn't associated with wisdom in our world today either, is it? Many Christians even view submission as weak and unwise. Well, it is true that obey is a four-letter word, but not all four-letter words are bad. Obedience honors God, fosters community, builds trust in relationships. It builds character. To obey is to acknowledge on some level that life is not all about me. And to obey voluntarily is an expression of love. Our Lord Jesus Christ, our supreme example of godly wisdom, submitted himself to the will of the Father and died on a cross. Philippians says he made himself nothing. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. Wise? Not by the standards of the world. But then Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Submission is not popular, but it is the way of true wisdom. Being submissive in our actions and attitudes towards God and others demonstrates heavenly wisdom at work in our lives. Heavenly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruit. James touches on this in chapter 2 when he says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Wisdom from heaven is merciful. It is being willing to overlook a transgression, being ready to forgive those who offend us. It is showing compassion toward those who may not deserve our compassion. It's giving others the benefit of the doubt. It's, it's trying to walk a mile in their shoes before judging their motives. Jesus said, a tree is known by its fruit. Heavenly wisdom is characterized by an abundance of the fruit of the Spirit. James goes on to say that heavenly wisdom is impartial and sincere. Real wisdom doesn't show favoritism. It isn't wishy-washy. It doesn't stick its finger up in, in the wind to find out which way the wind is blowing before it makes a decision. It stands firm in the truth, even when others are, are wavering. And it is sincere, without hypocrisy. Wisdom from heaven is transparent and honest. Have you ever shaded the truth just a bit? Sometimes it's easy for us to want to shade the, shade the truth, even just a little, in order to protect our ego or our reputation. But that's insincere. Dennis Kinlaw says, When the truth is shaded just enough to keep ourselves from looking bad, and, even, and when we know that we ought to look bad, this is dishonesty. Embellishing the truth in order to appear circumspect is bearing false witness. The wisdom that comes from heaven is sincere. It doesn't pretend to be what it's not. It acts within its own character. It doesn't wear a mask. It openly acknowledges both strengths and weaknesses freely recognizes personal limitations and clings gratefully to the grace of God for daily strength. James concludes his description of heavenly wisdom with this sentence. He says, Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Sort of reminiscent of Jesus' words, Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. All the characteristics of heavenly wisdom lead to peace. James tells us here that if our lives are governed by this peaceable heavenly wisdom, the ultimate result will be a harvest of righteousness. The principle here is clear. We reap what we sow. If we sow the seeds of earthly wisdom, bitter envy, selfish ambition, 
We'll reap a harvest of disorder and every evil practice. But if we sow the seeds of heavenly wisdom, we'll reap the benefits of peace and righteousness. We all want to be considered wise. James says, you want to be wise? Show us, don't just tell us. James might paraphrase a little phrase made popular by Forrest Gump and his mama. He might say, wisdom is as wisdom does. And Jesus would echo James, wisdom is proved right by her actions. We can talk about heavenly wisdom all we want, but if we're not living it out, it's meaningless. Those who observe our lives or sit under our teaching will know if our walk matches our talk, if we live by what we teach and say we believe. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by the deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. That's an interesting phrase. Let him show it by his good life. We would say it is good to be wise. And James would certainly concur with that, but he would take it a step further. He would define wisdom by saying it is wise to be good. When we measure ourselves against James's characterization of wisdom, How do we fare? Ask yourself this morning, is my heart truly pure before God? Am I a person who truly loves peace? Do I truly look on others with grace and favor? Am I a considerate person? Am I a submissive person? Is my life characterized by showing mercy to others? Is my life marked by good fruit? Am I impartial in my judgments and sincere in the things I do and say? As Christians, you and I ought to desire to have our lives marked by this kind of wisdom. But how? The reality is none of us is able to achieve heavenly wisdom. None of us, no matter how wise we think we are or how good we view our lives, None of us is able to live the kind of good life that demonstrates the wisdom from heaven. But here's the incredibly good news. We don't have to. It is a gift from God. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. That's great news for us, isn't it? We can't achieve wisdom from heaven. We can only receive it as a gift of God's grace. And that's what it is. It is nothing but grace. Earthly wisdom requires us to push, to strive, to compete with one another. But heavenly wisdom requires just the opposite. Letting go, giving up control, surrendering ourselves to the will of another. Perhaps this is why James says humility is evidence of heavenly wisdom. It takes humility to give up and ask God for help. 
It takes humility to admit we can't live a righteous life or achieve heavenly wisdom in our own strength. In fact, as soon as we begin to strive for heavenly wisdom, we forsake it. We can't earn it or achieve it. It's a gift. It is grace. Earthly wisdom is characterized by pride. Heavenly wisdom is characterized by humility. And the scriptures repeatedly affirm the idea that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so James says, if you harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. If we want heavenly wisdom, we must honestly admit and confess that we've been living according to earthly wisdom. But again, the good news. First John tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so begins with a cleansed and pure heart, a transition from living by earthly wisdom to living by heavenly wisdom. Such wisdom can only be imparted through the presence of the living Lord in our lives. Where true wisdom resides, there the Spirit of Christ resides as well. And so I encourage you this morning, make your prayer like that of David in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And if as you examine your heart and life, you find yourself lacking heavenly wisdom, I encourage you to follow James's advice and ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. That's the good news. Heavenly wisdom is a gift. It is grace. We're going to pray in just a moment, and then we're going to sing hymn number 438, Savior, Teach Me Day by Day. I want to just simply encourage you. I don't know where you are in your relationship with Christ. I don't know how you answer the questions this morning, whether you're living by earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom. But if you're at a place in your own life this morning where you feel you just need a touch from the Lord and you need the Spirit of God to do a work in your heart, transforming you and changing you more and more into the image and likeness of Christ, I want to encourage you as we sing our final closing hymn, the altar is open. You are welcome to come and pray this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we acknowledge this morning that all too often we have lived our lives according to earthly wisdom. All too often, selfish ambition and bitter envy have been part of our lives and our thinking. I pray that you would forgive us, that you would cleanse us, and purify us. 
And I pray that you would continue to change and transform each one of us more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.